The theme for the first few chapters of the book of Romans was a theme of condemnation. God said that the world was condemned because they knew him, but they would not worship him. And instead of worshiping God, they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. And because of their spirit of rejecting Christ, the Bible indicates that this human race is under the penalty of sin and condemnation. But as we came to chapters 4 and 5, the theme shifts from condemnation to justification and forgiveness. Though all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, yet through Christ, forgiveness is available. And so sometimes in order to appreciate the good news, we must see how desperately we need God in the first place. And that's what we learn here in chapter 5 and verse 1, where the Bible said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that anyone on this planet today may have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, tonight we come to another section of this chapter and we see again God's grace in saving mankind. The Bible says in verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Most of you know that verse. Let's say it together tonight. Ready, begin. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice tonight, as we consider the subject of God's salvation, in the first place, that Jesus died for the undeserving. Jesus died for the undeserving. How many of you have come to that place of realization where you would honestly admit, I did not deserve to be saved? It's not something that I could have earned. It's not something that God owed me. The fact that I have been saved is totally by His grace. Notice this undeserving salvation. The Bible says in verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice the timing of His death. It says when we were without strength. It means when we were infirmed, when we were unable to save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly, which means destitute of reverential awe toward God. Now tonight, let's be honest about the fact that there is an ungodly spirit in the world today that men and women by and large reject the Lord Jesus Christ and many times despise the very Word of God. And yet God with His infinite love, with His boundless love, knowing that they were sinners and that we were sinners, He sent His Son to die for our sin. The timing of His death is unbelievable when you consider we were in sin without ability to save ourselves. But we see not only the timing of His death, we see here the testimony of His death. For the Bible says in verse number 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now here we see that very rarely will someone give their life for a good person. And yet here Jesus Christ, the Bible says, gave his life for sinners. He gave his life for those that were without strength and without hope. He gave his life for blasphemers. He gave his life 
for the ungodly. And the Bible says in verse 8, he commended his love. That meant he showed forth his love on the cross of Calvary. He did not just speak about his love, but he displayed his love for the lost and dying world. A few weeks ago, Brother Schmidt chose a song for our open house, and it was a newer song, and I listened to it a time or two before it was sung, and the meaning of it began to capture my heart. The song simply said about Jesus that he died with his arms open wide as if to say, I love you. No one can ever see a cross. No one can ever think of Jesus on that cross without realizing he did not just say he loves us, he commended his love toward us. Now how wide and how deep is this love? It is unfathomable. This is a love that is for all people. I might say to you tonight, it is a love for people that sometimes we may not love the way we should. He loved those who were without strength, those who were ungodly, those who were blasphemous. Did you know tonight that Jesus loves the humanistic sinner? He loves the one who rejects him. He loves the one who rejects his truth. Recently, I opened up a newspaper and I noticed that there was a special community of religion forming. And there was an invitation given to the public to come to this new community. And some of the things that they said were unique about their religious gathering were as follows. We have no religious dogma. We encourage freedom of thought. Isn't that wonderful? We have a humanist view of life. Our faith is based upon celebrating the worth of every person. By the way, our faith is based on celebrating the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our services are warm and accessible. Our Sunday services include a mix of readings and meditation and contemplation. Our children's religious education teaches people and children to accept differing beliefs of importance. We study the world's major religions so that we can draw from each faith tradition. If you're looking for a congregation that cherishes freedom of belief and opinion and will not be judgmental, then just come and join us. Now I read that hodgepodge of humanism and I thought about how they would elevate religion, how they would elevate mankind, and yet I could not help but think about the words of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except by me. What a twisted, confused day people living in who think that they can celebrate all religions and somehow find the truth therein. My friend, you'll never find the truth in religion, but you'll always find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus said, I died for those people. I died for the, uh, for the humanist. I died for the one who's celebrating his diversity and who's celebrating all of the different kinds of religion. Though he's lost and confused, Jesus said, I love him and I died for him. Jesus died for the humanistic sinner. For the Bible says in verse number eight, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May I say that Jesus died for religious sinners, for people who are religious but lost, I told you recently of a man that spoke to me and said, he said, I joined the Universalist Church because it matched my politics and my political view. My friend, we ought never to find a church because it matches our view. It ought to always match the Word of God. But there again, people are so bent on finding what they want and living out their paradigm in some type of religion. Yet Jesus said, I died for the religious sinner. Jesus died for the humanist sinner. Jesus died for the religious sinner. Jesus died for the immoral sinner. Jesus loves even the most baser sort, and he died for them. 
And while we may preach in this pulpit against the prevalent sins of our day, may it be clearly known from this pulpit that Jesus loves every man, woman, boy, and girl, irrespective of their background, irrespective of their sin. And yet, we must also recognize that they will never see their need for a Savior until they come to repentance in realizing that they are sinners. If we think we can placate with the devil's crowd, if we think that we can somehow find common ground, we are terribly mistaking. God came to save them from their sin and to bring them unto himself. Jesus died for the immoral sinner. My Bible is very clear that God is displeased when immorality runs rampant as it is in America. God is displeased when homosexuality runs rampant. His word still says in Leviticus 18, Thou shalt not lie with mankind uh, as with womankind. It is an abomination. And we must call it what it is in this hour as we speak of God's forgiveness for it. If there is no transgression, then there's no need of forgiveness. But if there is transgression, then we must have the forgiving and undeserving love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a very wicked day. Simon & Schuster, one of the major publishing houses for the public schools in our country, is publishing at a very rapid rate textbooks for children uh, ages 6 to 10 advocating uh, this wicked lifestyle of which I speak. Uh, The NEA has approved openly the homosexual characters in the books that children are now reading. Teachers are forcibly and openly declaring their decadent lifestyle. U.S. News and World Report reported recently in John Leo's op-ed section uh, the fact that many, many books are now proliferating into the California and New York school systems. Uh, Books that talk about Heather's two mommies and Johnny's two daddies trying somehow to desensitize children into thinking that this is a normal way of life. Leo said, and I quote, the answer is tucked away on page 145 of the city's Children of the Rainbow first grade curriculum. Teachers must be aware of varied family structures, including gay and lesbian parents, and children must be taught to acknowledge the positive aspects of every household. They call this diversity. A line is being crossed here, in fact. A brand new ethic is descending upon the city's public school system. The traditional civic virtue of tolerance, uh, if people want to live together, that's their own business, has now been replaced with a new ethic requiring approval and endorsement of these lifestyles. In other words, it's no longer don't ask, don't tell. Now uh, we're being told in the public schools and in other venues, it must be promoted. It must not simply be accepted quietly. It must be promoted in the textbooks, and it certainly is on the television. Then we move to the religious realm. We see the Episcopalians waffling on the issue, and now we've come to the day where you cannot even buy a cup of coffee without having this shoved into your face. My friend, I want you to understand, Starbucks is not embracing diversity. Starbucks is not embracing uh, some type of accepting everybody. If they were embracing diversity, they would put Leviticus 18.22 on their cup. Let's, Let's not buy into this liberal thought of diversity that rejects the word of God and while they pander to 3% of the populace in the United States of America, they are in the face of a bunch of Christians who many times are so pacifist and so tired and so weary that they don't even take the stand they should take. I'm saying that when Starbucks uh, promotes and financially underwrites the Gay Pride Parade in Seattle and I'm saying when they run their trucks up and down the street of the Gay Pride Parade and I'm saying when they put on their cup about a man's regrets of suppressing 
fulfilling his sinful desire because of the curse word Christians that got in his way. I'm saying somebody out there ought to recognize that it is still a sin according to the word of God, this lifestyle. I don't care what television says. I don't care what your magazines say. I don't care what Simon & Schuster publishes. And I don't care what Starbucks put on their cup. The Word of God does not change. And yet I say that to say this, that God died even for the undeserving sinner. And I thank God He can save to the uttermost tonight in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope I've made it clear What is not my opinion? What is God's opinion of this immorality? God's opinion is very clearly stated in the Bible. It is sin. But God loves sinners. What a wonderful God. He died for the undeserving. Secondly, he delivers the justified. Notice in verse 9 now. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Let's read this together, shall we? Ready, begin. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Now tonight, not only did Jesus die for the undeserving sinful of this world, which by the way includes you and me, But he delivers those who are justified from their sin. And he delivers us, first of all, by his blood. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in all of these tolerance and diversity talks, it seems that there is one central figure being put aside, and his name is Jesus Christ. It seems that people will rush by the tens of thousands to hear the Dalai Lama, but they will curse out of the side of their mouth the resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he came because of this world of sin. He came to shed his blood in order that they might have forgiveness. He is not one to be cursed. He is one to be loved, revered, and honored. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. I thank God tonight that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son and that Jesus Christ did not simply go to the cross and spend a little time there, but he shed his blood and gave his life there. And that without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. Some scholarly men in recent years have written that it was not his bleeding, but his dying that saves us from our sin. I would beg to differ with that. I believe without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission. Blood is more than a symbol of death. Blood was the way he died by the shedding of his blood. And it was that precious blood that bought our salvation. I think of it as we approach the Christmas season that the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and that that child which was conceived in Mary was the very Son of God. And that as a man brings forth the bloodline into his child that is born, so the bloodline of our Savior came not from this earth, but from heaven above. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect and he was without sin. And the blood that was shed on that cross was the perfectly sinless blood of God shed for the sins of the entire world. And it is efficacy today to the point that if a wicked sinner like you or me were to cry out for salvation, the blood still speaks and the blood still says forgiven and the blood will still cover and justify the sin of all who believe. Now may I say that when Jesus Christ shed his blood, he was not becoming God at that moment. He was not almost God at that moment. He has always been God. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ is eternal God. And Jesus Christ laid himself down on the cross and shed his blood for our sin. This past week in Newsweek magazine, there was a write-up about the making of the Mormons. That's a good title because they are self-made, not God-made. And they were fair to describe Joseph Smith's grave-digging polygamist habits. They were fair to describe his 30 wives and Brigham Young's 162 wives up the road here in St. George, Utah. And it was interesting as they were talking about what they called the fastest growing Christian denomination. And I bring this out tonight as I preach about the blood because Mormonism is not a Christian denomination. Some people are so silly just because there's a family ethic and a clean cut look. They want to think it's Christian. I know they look more Christian than the average seeker sensitive church. I know that. They may look cleaner than the average rock and roll grunge band type of a church. But I want to tell you something. Looks can be deceiving. It's not about looks. It's about belief. And so in the article it says, and I quote, because of Mormonism's unique theology, some of which challenges early Christian creeds, many Christian denominations don't consider the LDS church to be Christian. We're not in a denomination, but I'll tag into that one. There is no rightful claim by historic Mormon doctrine to the name Christian because they deny almost every one of the major fundamental doctrines of Christendom says Norman Geisler, founder of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. And Geisler's a conservative theologian who hit the nail right on the head. But for the Latter-day Saints who believe in the Jesus Christ of both the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon, the cold shoulder from other denominations is baffling. Elder Jeffrey Holland, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, said, I am devastated when people say I am not a Christian particularly when that generally means I am not a fourth century Christian. My friend, he's not even a first century Christian. He's not a second century Christian. He's not a third century Christian. And he won't be a fifth century Christian. And the simple reason for that is the fact that they believe that Jesus Christ somehow was a man who became God. It's clearly stated in the discourses written and published by the Mormon church that they believe Jesus Christ was a man who through his acts uh, became God. I simply want you to know he wasn't becoming God when he died on the cross. He was all God when he died on that cross. And that's why the Mormon church is not a Christian church for they deny the very deity of the one who died on the cross of Calvary. Thank God tonight he delivers us by his blood and thank God it was not some man-made Jesus that did that. It was the very son of God that did that for us. 
But then he not only delivers us from sin through the blood that was shed, but notice in verse 9 it says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now how many of you are glad you're saved? How many of you are glad you're saved from wrath? From wrath. He took our wrath upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. He took my punishment for sins, past, present, and future. Jesus bore the penalty of our punishment. When the Bible says he has delivered us from wrath, I believe there are two major times of wrath coming that the believers will be delivered from. The first one, if you're taking notes, is what we commonly refer to as the great tribulation period or the tribulation period. It is that time that will commence after the rapture of the church. It is the beginning of the day of the Lord. It is a time when this world will be judged. As Sodom and Gomorrah of old, this world will know the vile judgments of God in a way that is unprecedented in world history. It will be as if hundreds of Katrinas were going off at one time. It will be as if cataclysmic events are on the news every single day. In the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, Paul was writing to encourage the saints. And he said, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety. That will be the ongoing mantra. My little letter I got from Starbucks the other day. Someday I might preach a message about it. I'm still mulling it. I've already written my letter, but I'm mulling the message. And it said, we embrace, we embrace diversity in our global community. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Our global community. I want you to know this global community is so hungry for peace and safety. I want you to know that as the United Nations men gather around the table with their Starbucks Diversity Global Cup, I want you to know that there's coming a day when men and women will be so hungry for peace and safety and they'll think they will have almost achieved it in their global community of diversity. But all of a sudden, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, it says when they, the global diversity crowd, when they, uh, the secular humanist crowd, when they, the God-rejecting crowd, when they, those who make fun of Christians on late night television, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And I might add that we have had four children, and when travail came, it didn't look like an especially fun time in my wife's day. It came suddenly and difficult and, and with difficulty. And it says it will come upon them and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in the darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, we're not sitting around here uh, without knowing that God has a plan. We serve a God who has a divine plan and it's unfolding. And none of this stuff's catching him by surprise. And I find rest in his sovereignty tonight. Ye are all the children of light and the children of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That day's coming. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the trump of God and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain will join them uh, in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I believe after that moment some theologians refer to as the rapture. I believe that there will commence a time that will at first seem like a time of safety. But then destruction will come. The Bible says in Revelation 15 and verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Revelation 15, 7, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth and die, who liveth forever and ever. I don't, I, don't, I don't have time to go all through it tonight about the vile judgments and the trumpet judgments. I'm just simply saying that when God's wrath is outpoured on this earth, it will be a terrible, terrible day. And yet God says that those of us who are saved are saved from the wrath to come. Listen, we deserve that wrath. The wages of sin is death. It's our deserving payment. But thank God the gift of God is eternal life. And when God says he delivers us from wrath, he will deliver us from that great tribulation time. He also, thank God, will deliver us from eternal damnation. I want to tell you something, and I don't delight in it. I know the late night hosts would have fun, poking fun at this message, and some Christians too, I suppose. I don't delight in saying this. But men and women without Christ in their life will suffer an eternal damnation. Jesus said it. What kind of a preacher would I be if I did not believe the words of Jesus Christ? Jesus said in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. God says if you accept Jesus, you're saved from the wrath to come. If you reject Jesus, you've got some wrath stored up. It's coming, my friend. It's not an exciting thing. It's not a hopeful thing. But it is a true fact that that day is coming. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, that, that word has been mentioned once in this message. The fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. My friend, you mark it down. There is a day of wrath coming, and the murderers, and the liars, and the sorcerers, and those who want to get high on their marijuana joint and get their little tattoo, and those who want to run around making fun of the things of God, and things like a holy wedding, and those who want to run around fornicating and living like animals and living together in wickedness. I want to tell you something. As they deny the truth of the Bible, there is something being stored up for them and it is called the wrath of God. Well, that's not very popular preaching. Well, this never did start out as a popularity contest. I'm simply saying tonight from God's word that he wants to deliver people from that wrath. But those who reject him can expect it. It's God's word. Now notice thirdly, he not only saves by his blood, he not only saves from the wrath to come, 
But thirdly, he saves by his life. Notice verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, since he died for our sins and rose again for our justification, and in his resurrection and life, there is now proof that because he conquered death in the, death in the grave, he can offer life to all who believe. We are reconciled to God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So then, much more being reconciled, verse 10, we shall be saved by his life. How many of you are glad that we serve a risen Savior tonight? And what we see in the Word of God is that he died for the undeserving, and he delivers the justified from the wrath to come. But notice thirdly, he delights the redeemed. He delights the redeemed. He died for the undeserving. He delivers the justified, but he delights the redeemed. Are you redeemed? Then get a hold of this verse here. Verse number 11. And not only so. In other words, not only did he reconcile me to God. Not only did he save me. And not only so. But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read that together. Ready, begin. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now help me. My voice is going. Help me. Read it louder with me. Ready, begin. And not only so. <laughs> now here it is, and we're done. The Apostle Paul says, he, designed, he, he died for the undeserving. He said, some people might die for a good man, but nobody dies for the ungodly, but that's what he did. He died for the undeserving. And he delivers the justified from wrath to come. And now he's thinking about it. Paul says, therefore, I can delight as the redeemed of God. He says, not only am I justified and reconciled, but I joy in God. When I think about this, we are joyful in Christ. He says, we are exalting in Christ. And I want to say something tonight. It's a grand thing to be a Christian. There is joy in serving Jesus Christ. Not the next time the devil says, oh, aren't you a little tired to go to church on a Sunday night? Oh, you know, you, you, your church is so busy and so active. I want to tell you, it beats alimony any time. I want to tell you, it'll, it'll beat any time a hangover. I'm going to tell you something right now. Staying faithful to God and living for God is the best way to live. Listen, our hard times are simply easy times compared to the devil's crowd. And Paul said, I joy in my Lord Jesus Christ. I joy in God. He has an exultant rejoicing in his heart. Psalm 34 and verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 43 and verse 4, Then will I go to the altar of God and to God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the heart will I praise thee. Oh God, my God. Listen, Christian friend, don't lose that joy. Don't get over the joy of your salvation. Don't forget that God reached down and picked you up out of the miry clay and he set your feet upon a rock and he established your going. Don't forget that God saved you just like the Bible says. Paul said, I just exult in it. A native missionary by the name of Mark Varkes often would go witness by the Ganges River in India and he came upon one day a lady by the name of Alila. She was kneeling in the sand at the river. She was crying uncontrollably and she was beating her chest and 
pulling her hair. A missionary knelt down next to her with compassion. And through the sobs, she said to him, the problems in my home are too many. The sins in my heart are too many. I have just offered the best that I know to the goddess of the Ganges, my firstborn son. Missionary Varghese's heart ached for this woman. He heard her story. He considered her plight. Many people go to that river annually and they say prayers and they throw possessions out to the river hoping that the Hindu gods will somehow help them. The missionary told Alila about Jesus and about how that he was God's son and how he died on a cross for her sin and how that he could bring forgiveness to her family and hope for her life and for eternal life. And she looked to the missionary and she said, I have never heard this before. I wish you could have come just 20 minutes earlier. If you would, my son would not have died. Multitudes and millions of people somehow believe that this Hindu ritual of going to this river and washing in it and throwing possessions in it will somehow bring a cleansing and somehow bring a joy. And I, I hear stories like that and I want to say, hey, Mr. Liberal, where's your diversity? As you're going to discuss all the different religions and their merit, what merit do you find in drowning an innocent baby? And what merit do you find in, in somehow crashing a plane into a building? And what merit do you find in some of these bizarre, wicked rituals? Listen, we don't need more diversity. Diversity, we need more of Jesus Christ. And all that we would recognize that while the world cries and, and in their agony throws their babies down and in their agony looks for forgiveness and in their agony hates America, hates Israel and hates all the rest of these things that could be named tonight. Thank God the Apostle Paul said, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, if there's any crowd on this planet that ought to be happy tonight, it's the redeemed of God. Don't go out of here complaining about your job or your wife. Listen, if all you ever had from this life was salvation, you're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman. I want my children to know I'm glad I'm a Christian. I want them to know I'm glad I'm a pastor. You say, but pastor, sometimes people are mean and sometimes trials come. Yes, I've learned that in 20 years of pastoring here. I've learned that that happens, but I'm going to say tonight publicly, I'm so glad I'm saved. I don't deserve the blessings that I have. I don't deserve to preach to five people tonight. I know that. I understand that. I want my children to know the happy life is on side with Jesus Christ and the joyful life is not found down at the teenage discotheque and the joyful life is not found piercing your body and the joyful life is not found in a liquor bottle and it's not found in a marijuana joint and it's not found with rock music. I'm saying tonight, it's a grand thing to be a child of God. I'm glad I'm a Christian. Sometimes I see Christians who I just guess they forgot what happened when they got saved. They're so downtrodden. Paul said, when I think about the fact, I'm not going through the tribulation. I've been saved from that. I'm not spending eternity in fire. I've been saved from that. He says, we have joy in God. Do you have joy in God? Do you have the joy? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Hey, I've been washed in the blood. 
I'm joint heirs with Jesus as I travel earth's sod. Why is Paul joyful? Look at verse 11. Not only so, but we also join in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The atonement. I like that word. You see, if you've received the atonement, you have something to rejoice about. Charles Wesley wrote this. By the way, some wicked people who hate hymns say that all the old hymns were, the tunes were just taken from, from bars. That is ridiculous. The fact of the matter is, the hymns were written by godly people. And I'd rather have some of the music out of the bars of the 1700s than the churches of the 2000s. Charles Wesley said, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise and glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Hear Him, ye deaf, praise Him, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come and leap, ye lame, for joy. You may be infirmed tonight. You may be suffering physically tonight. You may have had some setbacks in recent days. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you've been delivered from the wrath to come, you've got something to get happy about tonight. Oh, yeah. I've never preached in a camp meeting. Someday I'd like to. I'm not about emotion for emotion's sake. I think some people move from emotion to doctrine. I don't think that's the way to do it. But there's nothing wrong when doctrine gets you a little emotional. Amen. You can hear preaching about heaven, you ought to get happy. <laughs> you hear preaching about hell, it ought to make you sad. You hear preaching about Jesus, it ought to fill your heart. I've never preached at a camp meeting, but I hear they get happy at camp meetings. Brother Gibbs preaches at camp meetings. Down in the south, <clears throat> where they're preaching along and someone starts saying amen and glory to God. They'll preach about Jesus in heaven for a while. Brother Hudson told me he was preaching one time and all of a sudden he had a runner start on him. I'm not talking tongues, I'm just talking being happy. He said that fellow ran around the church for a while just being happy. Now my friend, I don't necessarily want to start running around the church while I preach. But I'd take that over a sleeping Baptist any old day. We ought to be glad we're saved. Sometimes I think we, oh, we know you're tired. We know how hard it is to be a Christian. Oh. Y'all came to the missions conference. Oh. What, what is that? Are we going to go ahead and tell that to Brother Graham as he goes to live in the Philippines? I don't understand it. Our missionaries, they go to these places, and when we go to visit them to be a blessing, they're always a blessing to us. Oh, we're just here to help you. Hey, Brother Chapel here. Oh, God bless you. We're so glad you're here. Have some rice. Have this. Have this. What can we do to be a blessing to you? You know what they haven't lost? The joy of their salvation. Oh, don't lose it. We've been saved from the wrath to come. 
But for the grace of God, you could be in some universalist church with Pastor Charlotte. <laughs> sipping some Starbucks. Well. Eating a Taco Bell. <laughs> Might as well just get all the way into sound doctrine tonight. <laughs> and you could be discussing with Pastor Charlotte the merit of the Hindu religion right now. But you've been saved. Amen. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Don't forget it. Amen. Father, thank you for this time to study the sound doctrine of the Word of God. Thank you for saving us and delivering us from the wrath to come. Help us to live with joy this week because we're saved. Help us to have a burden for people who are not saved, people who are lost. Help us to love them and to give them the gospel tracts or to invite them to church or to help them, Lord. Our heads are bowed tonight.